Welcome to Urban Forum Northwest with your host, Eddie Riot Jr. A lot's been going on this week, but we're going to start right off with opportunities coming in Washington State for folks in the cannabis industry. And my first guest is Ali Garrett, a member of the Liquor and Cannabis Board of Washington State. She's also president and CEO of PMT Solutions and president and CEO of Tabor 100. So welcome to Urban Forum Northwest, president and CEO uh, and, and cannabis board member. Uh, Ali Garrett. So uh, we understand there's an effort now to ensure there's going to be equity and participation in the cannabis industry that will include African descendants of the United States enslaved. I'm talking about the Black folks been here 400 years. So can you address what initiative that the state is putting on to ensure that we get the outreach and hopefully the participation in the industry? Okay, I will do that. I first want to kind of uh, cover what, how we got to having where we are and how we got to having a social equity program uh, at the LCB. Uh, I've been on the board since 2016 and coming in and after about three years of looking at the industry and what was going on in the industry, we took a look at uh, what we call uh, if what, who's in the industry. And in doing that, we saw that the industry was majority white. It was probably only 4% Black in the industry, 4% that self-identified as multiracial, and then only 2% Hispanics. So after reviewing that data, what we did in 2020, we launched an effort to do outreach. We did three statewide outreach to the community to hear from the community. And it was facilitated by, by Dr. Caprice Collins and to hear from folks that was left out uh, their issues, their concerns, and even the harm that it did to them and understanding that when the industry was open and there was only 556 licenses, over 2,500 people applied for those licenses. There was no diversity program at that time. And what can we do to now try to um, make a difference and have a social equity program? So after that outreach, uh, the LCB introduced what we call uh, House Bill 2870 to uh, have a social equity program. And from that, a social equity task force was created. And from that, uh, it was brought back to the LCB recommendations and things that we could do in order to have a social equity program. During that period, we held on to any license that was coming back to us. And uh, today we have about 44 licenses that has come back to us over the years that we held on to to be part of the social equity program. And beginning March 1st, we are opening up the application for those 44 licenses under the social equity program. Let me ask you one quick question about that. Uh... What about the, the African-Americans who were in the business, who, who got put out of business? Like one gentleman had a medical marijuana uh, store in West Seattle. They put him out of that and gave him a, uh, a you know, a, a social, uh, but on you know, Vashon Island. But a white group came right in behind him in West Seattle with uh, the cannabis store. And we have the same thing with uh, some other folks, because once I put you up on Facebook, I started getting these phone calls. But there's a, another uh, a couple of guys 
that had a store already and they were put out of business. So I'm wondering in terms of making things whole, will these African-Americans have an opportunity uh, to get at the table and be treated fairly? So as I stated, we heard those same stories, Eddie, when we did our outreach. That's what led to the agency coming up with the agency uh, request bill in order to create a program to where going forward, we can be more inclusive. In this program, we have where you get, uh, when you go through, and it's on the, uh, for those that are listening on LCB uh, website, you go on there, click on, click on social equity. It's going to give you everything you need to qualify, how to score, you can, uh, what you need to be prepared, uh, anything you need to be ready to come into the business. But in there and in the scoring, we also included what we called uh, DIA, if you lived in a DIA. So a DIA consists of high poverty uh, area where it was high poverty rate, an area that had um, high participation of income-based federal programs, a high area of unemployment, and a high area of conviction. That's all part of the program to get in. And also there's uh, scoring in there for people who were in the business back then. Okay, so uh, uh, that's what I wanted to, that's the question I asked. What about the people who were in the business who got ran out of business? Right. Will they, do they have to go through, jump through the same hoops? Obviously, they had the expertise to open up a store. So do they have to go through the same thing as a new person that's just trying to apply for a license? Yes, they do. They have to go through the same process under the social equity requirements even though they had stores before? They, yes, they have to go through the same process. Okay. And and how did that, how did that uh, conclusion, how did, how did, was that something that the board instituted? And I was just, just kind of curious because I'm here to mix messages as well, but I'm just trying to figure out the people who were in business before who lost their investments, they got to go jump through the same hoops as somebody just have an interest. Well, I I wouldn't say as oh, see, I'm uh, talking about reparations now. That's that's part of reparation. But go right ahead, Nolly. I'm not I wouldn't say the same hoops as everyone because in the beginning there was no social equity program. These 44 licenses are under social equity and the social equity program. So there's a lot, they have to go onto the site, look at all the qualifications, and there is a, a checkpoint for those that was in the industry back in, in the past. There's things there that's allowed for them to get extra points based on, but you have to go onto that site. And that's what we're trying to do is to get okay. the word out to make okay. sure people know where to go and look. And we're doing webinars, outreach, training to make sure that the people that want to come in are ready. Okay. Now give us that information before we have to go, because I want to make sure that people who are interested and trying to be, be involved with the cannabis industry, especially for my community. I want to make sure they have access to the information. And I also have that posted up on my Facebook page. And also two hours after this live program, this will be available on Alexa and on my podcast for the next several weeks and then on the website for a year. 
So information you're dispensing with right now will be readily available and we'll allow, let people know that it is on uh, Alexa and my podcast. So where can they go to participate uh, in the game? lcb.wa.gov. And I also want people to know those that has looked and been through looking to see if they qualify and if they live in a DIA for them to go back on that this afternoon, there would be some updates to that DIA, DIA map. So I people need to go back in to see if they lived in a DIA, one of the qualifications. And that map has been or will be updated this afternoon. Well, that's great. So you gave the information that'll be available for the rest of the week. So uh, is Table let me switch gears, is Table 100 doing anything for Black History Month? Yes, we will, and you will get an announcement, and I will have someone from Tabor reach out to you to go over what we will be doing for Black History Month. Okay, well, I look forward to talking to whoever that individual might be. Now, in terms of uh, meetings and stuff, since uh, the pandemic is over somewhat, uh, uh, any your your in terms of your meetings, uh, how do people register to participate in the Tabor 100 meeting? Tabor 100 meetings are the last Saturday of every month from 10 a.m. to noon here at the Hub. Hot breakfast being uh, is served. We have had our own in person only meetings now going on probably for the last year. So all of our meetings are in person and you can go on to Tabor100.org. The site comes up where they can register for the meeting uh, for so we can have an accurate count for our hot breakfast. Last month meeting, everybody loved Bridget and Wolf style catering. We had yeah. some good country <laughs> grits. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you one thing. I can amen on that Bridget. Now, she can really get down. And uh, yeah, I'll tell you what. Getting some of Bridget's breakfast is worth going to the meeting. But some people <laughs> eat so much they might go to sleep and not pay attention during the meeting. So, well, Ali, I, I really appreciate this and thank you for the information. Thank all you do for the community. And I'm so happy to hear because I don't know if you're aware of the fact yet, but we looked at the OMWB report and in 2021, African Americans did 0.18% of the business of Washington State. Uh, we got Department of Enterprise Services, the state's procurement agency. All minorities together didn't do 1%. So we have a lot of work to do. I know that we have uh, uh, David Hackney now, Representative David Hackney now is leading the Black Members Caucus. And hopefully, you know, with uh, 11 of them now, we can get something done. I asked uh, Representative Hackney today in an email to prioritize economic inclusion for African descent United States enslaved. So, I mean, I know the feds say, and if you're Black, you count as Black. But, you know, uh, some people have been here and helped make this country a superpower by providing 254 years of free labor. So hopefully one of these days that will be taken into consideration. Right. So, and I also real briefly want to just thank the community that has come together back to the cannabis and worked with the LCB and been part of the process of us coming up in with this social equity program. We couldn't have uh, had come to where we are today without the community giving us feedback, working with us. Uh, Black Excellent and Cannabis have been very helpful with uh, I would say monitoring us and holding us accountable. So I want to thank the community for helping us with that program. Thank you very much, Ali Garrett. We appreciate you. And I'm sure that people are looking forward to getting information on how they can be included in the cannabis industry. Thank you very much. All righty. Hi, Tony. My next guest is Tony B. And he knows Ali. She just said hi to him. As a matter of fact, 
Uh, you're on mute, brother. You're mute. I can't hear you. You're on mute. You're muted. Oh, oh, hey, Ali. And I just wanted to, to publicly thank Ali for their incredible contribution to Rainier Avenue Radio, the 65-inch uh, monitors. And Ali, really appreciate it. And, and thank you so much. And, and Tabor 100. All right, now. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Okay, uh, Tony B. from Rainier Avenue Radio dot world, uh, and the owner of Columbia City Theater, brother owned the theater, uh, is uh, sponsoring a Black History Month museum. It's called the Conscious Black History Month Museum. And so from the 1st of February till the 28th, the Columbia City Theater will be a museum. So uh, Tony B., congratulations on doing that, brother, with the foresight. So share with our listeners a little bit about what they can expect uh, when they go through the Black History Museum. Yeah, uh, thank you, Mr. Rhyme, and, and and thank you for all you've done and for being an inspiration. Uh, you know um, that again, just thank you. But so the, uh, uh, the 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 easiest way to to describe what the museum it is is it is an installation of fourteen different members of our community who have the opportunity to share their history themselves. So it is, uh, folks can get the history of our community from our community. Um, and, and I think that that helps in understanding where we were as a community um, uh, and to getting to where we are now. And these messages come from our community. That's, that's the, the, the bottom core of it. And I can talk more about what's taking place there. Um, but that's the important thing, Mr. Rye, is, is getting information from our community because that isn't always easy to do these days. <laughs> You're absolutely right. And then another thing is that uh, Rainier Avenue Radio World uh, has been serving community. I know that the MLK uh, Committee Organizing Coalition, uh, the Hayward uh, Evans and I co-convened uh, the C.L. King County Martin Luther King Commemoration Committee. And uh, so there's an event coming up on the 25th, which we'll talk to you about because we want Rainier yep. Avenue Radio World to be able to carry it live. So share, share a little bit about uh, about the radio station as well. Uh, the radio station broadcasts 24 hour days, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, we have over 80 shows that are produced or hosted by members of our community. Uh, the goal of the radio station is to amplify the diverse voices of our community. So we broadcast uh, talk shows. Uh, some are critical issue shows. Some are funny. We broadcast um, uh, uh, many genres of, of music. Uh, we also broadcast uh, an incredible sports uh, department uh, that has uh, conversations. And then we broadcast high school basketball, football, baseball games. Uh, we broadcast uh, in multiple languages, Tagalog, uh, Spanish, uh, Fijian, uh, we have a, an incredible youth broadcast, and uh, we offer uh, programs called the Creative Arts Digital Media Academy, where we teach everything from uh, journalism uh, and, and uh, communications to app design, web design, uh, film photography, and broadcast, and a little shameless self-promotion. We've got kids now who've come through our program who are on campus broadcasting at Notre Dame, at USC, at the... Uh, University of uh, at Washington, at Seattle Community College, um, uh, and, and Eastern Washington. And so we're, we're, we're a radio station that's a community radio station. And, 
And Mr. Rye, I, I differentiate that from a commercial station uh, because we're here uh, to serve our community, to amplify the voices of our community, not just play the 10 most popular songs. <laughs> I understand that. that that's a, a dynamic program you have uh, uh, training people. And who are some of the some of the hosts you have? There before? We're gonna, I want to close them, close up with the Black History Month, but let's talk about some of the people you have on the air. Who are some of those folks? Uh, wow, it is it is a wide array. Of them. I'll, 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 I'll start. I know off John Yasutaki. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll start off with John Yasutaki. I, I call him Jay Yeezy, and uh, he does <laughs> an incredible job of of making sure that this radio station is connected to the community in a number of different important ways with the guests that he brings on his show uh, called mm -hmm. Seattle Here and Now. And he is one of those guests that broadcasts a lot of the critical issues uh, that we uh, talk about. Brenda Charles Edwards, who I think was recently named president of AKA, uh, has a show on our station uh, called Seniors Matter, uh, where we talk about e issues that are uh, uh, important and a lot of times exclusive and impacting uh, our senior population. Uh, we have a sports show called Seattle Sports Weekly, hosted by Masvita Marere, uh, where he talks about everything sports, um, from the, the Kraken to the to the Seahawks to the Sounders. Uh, I mentioned that we broadcast uh, high school basketball. We have a show called Real Estate and Money uh, that talks about how to get real estate, how to manage money. Um, uh, that's hosted by uh, Tina Lombard uh, and uh, and and uh, uh, Violetta Strass. Uh, so there's I could go. That's great. That's great. No, I, I'm <laughs> saying. And you know what I, what I really love about you is that you are providing opportunities for other folks, but you're also providing training and direction, which lasts forever. Because uh, I know that uh, in the late 60s, Don Dundee put a microphone in front of me at KYC when it was on, on Queen Anne Hill. And then it <laughs> moved down and moved down with started on 14th and Pine, but it moved down to Queen uh, 14th and Pike. It moved down to Queen Anne Hill, and then down to Third Avenue. So, uh, and the shame is that uh, he had an AM and an FM worth two million dollars in the bank, but let him borrow two hundred thousand dollars. But wow. uh, you, you know that well, that's been uh, something that's been perpetual. So let's go back to uh, the Black History Month Museum because I need you on for an hour to talk about everything you're doing. But uh, let's let's give the folks the details on the Black History Month Museum before we have to go. You can go to calltoconscience.world for more information, but it's called Call to Conscience. And I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, folks have a sense of right or wrong, whether we do that thing or not. And so it's just a raising, raising awareness to consciousness um, for everyone. Uh, there are 14 different installations. It's a guided tour. Um, we have uh, installations by the Seattle Black Panther Party. We have a Negro Leagues uh, display that features the Seattle Steelheads. A lot of people don't even know that Seattle not only had uh, a Negro League team, that baseball was big up here uh, yeah. in Seattle. Uh, we have an inst inst uh, installation by BlackPass.org. Uh, they'll be getting their 50 millionth viewer uh, to their website uh, pretty quickly. And that's an amazing installation that talks about the transatlantic slave trade. Uh, we have an uh, installation with the Black Firefighters Association uh, that is really phenomenal um, as well. We have Jim Tharp's uh, uh, enslaved quilt collection. He has qu quilts 
that date back to the 1850s and authenticate quilt codes. And if folks don't know about quilt codes, academia denies that. We know that it was real. And he has quilts uh, that have sustained in his family school, uh, that yeah. share information about safe passage for those who were seeking uh, their freedom. Um, I don't know how much time we have. I well, we are, we're out of time right now, okay. but I want people to go to rainieravenueradio.world for more information. Thank you, Tony B. We appreciate you, and I'll be through there to check that out. We appreciate you. Thank you, Mr. Rye. I will mention that the rest of the month. Con calltoconscience.world is the website to go to specifically for the website, calltoconscience.world. Okay, I'll put that underneath your Facebook post, my brother. Thank you very much. Okay, Tony. thank you. Appreciate you. Okay. Yep. Okay, we're going to take this break and come back. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill in the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.ctacshops.com. Some people know a good thing when they hear it. Alternative Talk 1150. My next guest is Reverend Harriet Wildman, the founder for uh, Mothers for Police Accountability. And uh, we know we're going to talk about Tyree Nichols since we've seen that brutality, that inhumane treatment that he faced. And so I was on her pro, I interviewed Reverend Harriet Wildman on her program Monday. But so much is going on here. I just wanted to have her do an update from her perspective on what has transpired so far in that case. So Reverend Harriet, we'll go ahead and uh, uh, let the folks know your perspective of where we are with the Tyree Nichols situation. Well, it's still unfolding. I mean, there's some more officers are gonna probably be charged. I posted on my Facebook page that Tennessee was an at-will employment state because a lot of people are still kind of like wondering why the police office, black officers got fired so fast 
and white officers don't get fired that fast. And I, I just really want to want them to understand that they they ought to been fired. And uh, uh, and uh, and that by Tennessee being an at will state, even if they have a union, then the employers still have the right to fire people. And uh, and, and so they probably would not even though now they charged with a crime, so they're not going to get their jobs back. But um, anyway, I think the, the, I didn't watch it. I saw some of the funeral yesterday. It was a really outpouring of support for the family. Uh, and all, a lot of the mothers who uh, uh, ch children have been uh, killed by the, by the police was there to support the mother. Um, and, okay, uh, well, and the show is going. And so anyway. Excuse I, me, somebody needs to mute their microphone, please. I see some people he's talking. So, so anyway. Um, and also, it's been another shooting there. It's today, and a person is dead. A police officer uh, is shot. So it's a lot of stuff going on in Memphis. But another police officer, a, a, a former police officer, said that he thought that East Memphis is one of the only places where you have a majority black police department. Uh, and uh, it's going to be a lot more coming out. I mean, there's some. They're going through the files now, and and. Uh, some of the officers uh, had excessive force. Uh, some of them filled, did not fill out the forces, uh, the, the forms that was necessary. A few of the officers have been suspended, had been suspended uh, a few days because of excessive force and not following the rules. One officer had a loaded gun in his car. And these, these are some of the officers that had been, uh, that's uh, charged with a crime. So I think we're gonna see a fallout in Memphis about a lot of police brutality. Uh, and stuff that's been going on in the community for a long time. And I think the change is going to, for policing might come out of Memphis. I mean, I really do. I believe America is going to come out of Memphis. I really do. If you look at 55 years uh, uh, since Martin Luther King uh, I was murdered there, how has the living conditions changed in Memphis? I think you want to know about, you know, how much of the wages, how much black people make compared to white people and how just how bad the living conditions is for black people in Memphis. And I think that the eyes is going to be on Memphis a long time uh, uh, to come. Uh, and to see how things, uh, how, how policing can be better, but also how the, better, the living conditions can be better for people in Memphis. I mean, and FedEx is laying off. That's Memphis' largest employer. And so how is FedEx laying off? Gonna, if, if 36,000 people work in Memphis uh, for FedEx. They're laying off in Memphis. Uh, so it's going to be, I think it's, this story is not going to go away. Mm -hmm. That's probably what I have to say. It's not going to go away. And it's a tragedy, uh, and also there's other things surfacing that I'm not going to mention now about about about, about Mr. Uh, about Mr. Uh, Nichols and maybe one of the police, uh, 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 a girlfriend or something. So there's a lot of stuff uh, surfacing. I think CNN had a story. People can go and see it there. I'm not going to put it out because I can't substantiate it. Okay, well, yeah, that makes sense. You're always right on point as far as things like that go. Now, in terms of uh, uh, our Seattle Police Department. Uh, are you satisfied with where things are right now? Uh, you are still a member of the police community. <laughs> yeah, I'm still there. Uh, yeah, bless my heart. You know, really, one of the last people who helped bring the DOJ to town. Well, I mean, Seattle Police Department is in shambles, and we know that, and that happened because of, uh, you know, because of the people, the city council people who all jumped in ship now. They decided to defund the police, uh, and so many of them left. Maybe some of them should have left. But Seattle Police Department is having a hard time uh, handling all the calls, and uh, Adrian Diaz is doing a great job on trying to prioritize. Uh, they took the 911 call center out of, out of the police department and all the things that fit together and also the traffic uh, uh, cop, uh, traffic department out of SPD, and that makes, that makes things more difficult. 
I mean, the, the call center is different. I mean, it might be some delays in the calls and all of those kinds of things. So I think given the hand that was that was dealt before uh, uh, Chief Diaz got in there, I think the program that he has before the badge is an excellent program. I'm part of that program where new, new cadets will come out and be with the community and go to different communities and learn more about, about different types of, uh, you know, ethnic groups of people and other human beings, I should say. I mean, if they're coming from the Okanagan and all these other places, I think it's a great, pro, uh, pro, uh, great program. I think Bruce uh, is really 100% behind trying to make Seattle one Seattle and, and have a better city. Uh, and I, I think that's why he was elected. And I, I you know, I mean, I, I just think that the Seattle Police Department is doing the best it can with one hand tied behind the backs. So when you lose three or 400 officers, uh, uh, you just don't have enough officers to, to do the work that needs to be done. And all of them was not brutality. Uh, May, 24, May uh, 24th, 2020, Seattle was one of the best police departments in the nation. And uh, it really was. And so you look at it now, uh, it's in shambles. I mean, with, with, the, with the lack of police officers uh, and the city council people did not care about public safety. The charter says that every sector is supposed to have adequate police department, uh, adequate police service for public safety. And none of, the, none of the council members, except for a few of them, cared about public safety for the whole city. Good rhythms for some of them who's saying they're not running again. Now, in terms of what people in the listening audience and other people you talk to, what are people doing to support the chief and also at the same time keep the city safe? Well, I mean, again, I talk, you talked about the, before the badge. I think he's going out into different communities. And I think that, uh, you know, he wants to hear from people. Uh, and uh, if you see something, say something. I mean, really, we have to come to terms. Be one thing that people didn't want to talk about. And this is this is, goes into this, maybe not Seattle, but Seattle too. Nobody wants to talk about black on black crime and how we help harm one another. Now, black on black stuff is center stage right now. We can talk about it. We can talk about, uh, you know, brutality and policing, but it's still black on black. And so now that's a subject that we're going to have to talk about. We needed to have been talking about it 15 years ago, how we harm one another. And that's going to be a paramount thing. And nobody can help us with that. That's the inside, inside job. We have to do that ourselves. Yeah, well, I, I would hope that uh, folks who are involved in civil rights and complaining about other stuff start looking internally at our own community. And Reverend Harry, before we go, let people know, and I put it on on uh, Facebook and also on uh, uh, the emails that went out. Uh, Mother's Justice Show airs every Monday on this station at uh, 2 o'clock. And uh, so yes. you can hear some uh, guests from around the country uh, we're at a hot spots in the black community on Reverend Harriet's program. So, man, I want to thank you very much today. Uh, thank you so much. And we're going to take on Florida next because that's where I'm from. You know, the governor down there want to take out black folks history totally. So anyway, you'll be hearing more about that. Thank yeah, you so man. much. OK, thank you, Reverend Harriet. <laughs> yeah. OK, uh, I want to go to my next guest is uh, Sarah Sense Wilson, the founder of the Urban Native Education Alliance and uh, Kayla Harstad, who is an intern uh, for special projects for UNEA. Uh, so uh, Sarah has agreed to co-host this part of the program and to interview Kayla. Uh, Kayla is a freshman at the University of Washington, and she's a Turtle Mountain Chippewa. So uh, Sarah since Wilson, go right ahead. Thank you very much, uh, Kayla, for being here, and thank you for what you're doing with UNEA. All right. Thank you so much, Eddie. This is such a privilege to be on your show again and, and to have the title of a co-host. I, I feel really privileged. So thank you so much and happy Black History Month. Want to acknowledge that and 
Um, thank you for all the work that you do in the community and raising voices and elevating issues um, that need to be shared and discussed. Um, yeah, so UNEA Urban Native Education Alliance, our slogan is thriving through education, culture and tradition. And we have a number of programs that we run through our organization. And um, Kayla is one of our young youth interns and she's here to share about our upcoming Sweet 16 celebration. So Kayla, can you please share with us what to expect and what is this Sweet 16 celebration? Yeah, so um, UNEA is hosting their 16th anniversary of the organization that will be happening on February 16th, which is a Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. at North Seattle College Grove. Um, we will have Master of Ceremony Casey Nicholson, who is Blackfeet and who is known throughout Indian country for being a motivational speaker and a comedian. And we will also have Swill Kanem, who is from the Lummi Nation, um, who is also a U.S. Army veteran and a classically trained violinist, a Native storyteller, and an actor who will be our musical enjoyment for the night. We will have a ribbon skirt slash shirt contest, and we'll have a winner from the men's category and a women's category. We will also be catered by Native Soul Cuisine, Jeremy Thunderbird, and we will have students, well, youth, who will be speakers and drumming and singing with presentations as well. It's also semi-formal, and if you want to RSVP, you can RSVP from our Facebook, or you can go to eventbrite.com and look for UNEA, and it will pop up with res RSVP. So, Kayla, can you share with us a little bit about who we're highlighting in terms of organizations and our partners? So some of the people that are organizations that I know that we are going to be highlighting is um, North Seattle College and who we do uh, allyship and collaboration with who let us host UNEA as our organization there. We will also be highlighting um, I can't say the speakers or like the people we're giving awards to, but we will be highlighting Unkiriwa, I'm pretty sure, um, Seattle Indian Health Board, and I feel like I'm forgetting one other place. Nahali, I'm pretty sure that's what it's called. I sorry if I do mispronunciation. And yeah, and we'll have uh, people that will be receiving awards and gifting, but I can't get that out. <laughs> Yeah, we, we look at this Sweet 16 as truly a sweet victory of survivance of UNEA as a grassroots organization. And we're um, using this opportunity to really uh, put a spotlight on our sister organizations that have supported us throughout the years from beginning to now. And we want to honor those leaders throughout um, our community and as um sister organizations. I think that COVID, during COVID, we really were able to uh, witness the collaboration and partnerships at a high degree that I had never seen before. And, you know, I was born and raised in Seattle. So to see the, the high level of um, cooperation, collaboration, sharing resources, and, um, and, just how important that is in fostering a healthy community. And so we don't, we're not seeing the competitiveness and the undercutting and the, um, you know, acing each other out. Um, what we, what we've seen is, is just a really, a, 
a fantastic um, coming together as a community as a whole uh, and, and really, you know, bringing those resources and sharing them throughout the community. Let's go back to you. When was you United uh, Urban Native Education Alliance formed? And can you talk a little bit about uh, some of the programs and some of the challenges that you've had? Uh, yeah. Because Kayla needs to hear this because they might be waiting for her when she <laughs> so we want yeah. to know what she's going to be faced with before she gets out there. Yeah, absolutely. The, the origin story really um, comes from the grassroots of our, our youth. And there were four young people that came together and, and approached um, a few of us and said, we, we want something for us. And we were at a real critical time in Seattle where there was, uh, there was literally like no programs supporting indigenous youth in urban Seattle. And there were, there were programs being shuttered and being defunded. And there was just a lot of um, uh, overlooking you know, our most precious resource, which is our youth. And um, so we, uh, parents and invested community members really coalesced around these young people. And from there, um, we would meet on a weekly basis, potluck style in the Seattle Public Schools at the old Indian Heritage before they destroyed the building and put up the Robert Eagle Staff building. And, um, you know, we would meet just with no funding and just begin um, the activism, you know, begin, we began having conversations about what needs to change and where, where lie the, the problems and where lie the solutions. And through that, we built the organization into a nonprofit with the help of Potlatch Fund and, um, and some real strong indigenous women that, that saw the vision of something bigger which was to have our own school, to have a native focused school. And um, so we've, you know, we've moved a few times. Um, we've been relocated. I always joke around. I said, well, as in indigenous people, we know relocation. We're used to that, you know, being moved. And so we find a way, you know, we just find a way for survivance. And we moved from the Indian Heritage to Nathan Hill High School, where we had a good relationship with the principal and the vice principal at the time. And then with intention of moving back into the Robert Eagle staff. And when we moved back to Eagle staff, there was um, conflicts with the principal at the time. And a lot, again, there was like this, this turning the corner um, in the district where there was another push back against indigenous people. And, um, and then that was the time during the superintendent, um, Denise Juno era, where um, there was just no support really for indigenous community. And so we were, um, essentially we were evicted out of the, the school. And we had always been based in the schools of Seattle Public School, because that's who we work with is indigenous youth. and. So, so we, you're not having that problem with Dr. Brent Jones, are you? As things not, broke down there? Um, with Dr. Brent Jones, um, you know, we're hope we're we're seeing some um open doors, but still not enough, not fast enough. We are working with them right now, the district okay. to have um credit for our internships. Okay. So we have that's great. Okay. Okay, we're just about out of time, but Kayla. Oh. 
Harstead, uh, you're picking up the mantle from Sarah Sense Nelson. Uh, she's going to be passing it on to you, so we know the business will be taken care of. And Sarah, you're doing the right thing by bringing the young ones in now, let them know about the pitfalls and the challenges they have to face and, and, uh, and teach them not to be discouraged because you've not been discouraged and you're making significant changes in the community and the city as well. So thank you both very much. We really appreciate what you're doing. Thank you. Be, the Sweet 16 is the 16th anniversary of UNEA. It's yes. not a, a, okay. I, I want to yes, make sir. sure I have that right. I will be there at North Seattle Community College for that event. I'm so okay. happy you're here. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. Uh, yeah, Eric, I want to do a couple of announcements and then we'll take this break and come back with Tab, Tab Skinner. Uh, first of all, uh, Anthony Robinson, distinguished attorney uh, who was the founder of uh, the Minority Business Legal Defense and Education Fund, uh, will be a guest at the National Association of Minority Contractors meeting from 5 to 6.30 this afternoon in uh, NAMC, Washington. Uh, also, the Black Education Strategy Roundtable is sponsoring a one-day symposium for Black educators. That'll be tomorrow, Friday, from 12 to 5. It's being hosted by my friend, Dr. Marsha Tatarunga at Evergreen State College. And then I also want to give a shout-out to uh, our sponsors, the City of Seattle's Purchase and Construction Services Office, uh, and also Sound Transit's Office of Civil Rights, Equity, and Inclusion, the Port of Seattle's Diversity Contracting Office with me and Rice, Rosie Reagan, and Lawrence Coleman. And, and at Sound Transit, we got Nikki Chai, and uh, the acting uh, chief The acting chief is uh, Allison Smith. And uh, I also want to give a shout out to the chair, vice chair now, uh, Kent Kiel, uh, city council member from uh, University Place, and the chair is Dow Constantine, who was on this program a couple of weeks ago, as was uh, 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 Kent Keel. So uh, I want to also uh, let folks know that, uh, well, the next Martin Luther King meeting, people asking about that, that'll be on uh, Tuesday, uh, February 7th. So Eric, go take this break and come back with Tab Skinner. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxshops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. 
to find the closest Linklight Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Linklight Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Linklight Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Alternative Talk 1150, online at 1150kknw.com. All right, Eddie Ryan back at Urban Forum Northwest. My next guest is Talvin Skinner, a former Seattle Supersonic, and he's one of the people that is uh, laboring to bring the NBA back to the city of Seattle. So, uh, Brother Skinner, thank you for your efforts, and why don't you let the people know exactly what you're doing and how they can help. Well, what I'm doing, first of all, happy uh, Black History Month, Brother Rye. And, uh, thank you. I'm a little nervous here because I don't do this too often. I'm not a uh, media guy. So you did I, real good in in the store in the, in the grocery store. Oh, to, to <laughs> tell it like it is. So tell it like it is, huh? Yes, yes, yes. Well, I asked you. I, I think the last time we had spoken, it was during the pandemic, and we had met, and you said you were going to get me on the air, and so here we are. And uh, so my thing is interest is more or less to try to educate the community the black community as to trying to bring back NBA basketball to Seattle um, as to what it's going to take and how we should all try to work together. Mm. uh, Because at this point, um, bringing bringing it back to Seattle is very important. I have so many people approach me and say, "Uh, you think we're going to get the Sonics back? And I said, "Uh, well, I don't know, but I'm pretty sure I've heard talk of there being some interest at the next uh, CBA collective bargaining agreement about putting two teams either in Seattle and Las Vegas. So um, the only thing I could say as far as uh, putting it together is we need to be together and united as a community trying to do this because like I said, we're dealing with uh, billionaires. This isn't a millionaire project. This is a billionaire project. And we have so many, local kids that are in the NBA now. And I've talked to, I know a lot of their parents, uh, they come back and say, oh, what can we do to get the team back to Seattle? And um, I'm gonna let you reflow with this and ask questions. And I can just course. No, well, why don't we just, uh, first of all, let's share a little bit about your, your own uh, basketball background, your college, uh, your stint with the Sonics and stuff like that. Let's talk about that. Some of the folks who you play with who might could be helpful in bringing the NBA team back to Seattle. Uh, of course. Uh, my collegiate career was at the University of Maryland Eastern Shore uh, back in the uh, early 70s, from 1970 to 74. Uh, HBCU uh, that um, led the nation in scoring one year was probably the only HBCU ever, Stephen A. Smith, I hope you're listening, ever to be ranked in the AP top 20 of college basketball and led the nation in score in the same year, which never is brought up on Black History Month. Um, uh, Also played on the Touring U.S. Olympic team in 1973, coached by Bob Cousy, was uh, selected as a member uh, of the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame by the Veterans Committee. Um, and played for the Seattle Supersonics uh, for the late great who is, should be considered as the greatest 
player in the in the conversation of greatest player of all time and Bill Russell. Um, uh, Seattle was man. Seattle's a, a basketball haven for basketball. I mean, from the way that they teach the kids at the uh, AAU level on through uh, the mentorship of you know. Uh, the middle school program, which I work with on Saturdays right now, every Saturday uh, through Tara Davis, Seattle Public School Director, and Pat. Um, so I'm still trying to keep my hand involved. I'm still involved in basketball. Um, and like I said, first team to ever bring uh, playoff basketball to Seattle in 1974, 1975, Seattle mm -hmm. Supersonics. Yeah. Well, you know, um... The street behind the, the Climate Prayers Arena has been named for Lenny Wilkins. Uh, you know what? And that's funny you say that because I went to the, the exhibition game this year when the Clippers came to town and I walked out and I did not know that they had named that street the Lenny, Lenny, Wil, Lenny Wilkins Boulevard. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, so, so uh, and, you know, I talk to him frequently, you know, some history like, uh, I never realized that St. Louis, when the, uh, Lenny got drafted by the St. Louis Hawks. Yes. But anyway, uh, that they drafted Bill Russell, and rather than have a black player play, they traded him to Boston. Yes. And, I know about I know about that story. Yes, I do. Yes. Yeah, that, I mean, that's absolutely amazing. And then you're talking about 11 championships in 13 years. Yes. You know, God bless his soul. So uh, you're absolutely right. He is one of the greatest of all times. You know, you can say, I have to... I, you know, uh, like in football now, you know, uh, we, we talk about Tom Brady, seven Super Bowls should be six because that one in 2015. <laughs> Don't go there. Don't go there. <laughs> I mean, that should have been Marshawn Lynch with the ball. I'm sorry. Exactly. Exactly. On the two-yard line, nobody going to stop the beast mode. But anyway, it might have something to do with them. somebody not wanting to be the MVP. Yeah, we'll never recover from that, though. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you one thing. He's He's doing quite well in terms of you know, um, having his name out there doing commercials yes. and stuff for, yes. for Subway and for, for Stop Freaking Call Beacon. So he's their main person. So I think that that he's doing great. And that's just, just great to see some of the folks get an opportunity like that. Now, yes. another question I want to ask you, because people always say, well, you know, downtown Freddie Brown, did they have a three-point land while he was playing? No, they did not. So, yeah, and I, I told people, I don't think so. If they did, he would probably be up there in the scoring column. Yes. So he uh, he would that, shoot yeah. downtown. Yeah, uh, he didn't get that name for nothing. But uh, <laughs> during that during that time frame, Freddie was one of the top top five greatest shooters in the NBA. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've seen the guy get start shooting and some of the shots that he would make were just amazing. And uh uh, I saw him not too long ago at the um, at the exhibition game, and we we talked and chopped it up and talked about a few things and caught up. Mm -hmm. um, I'm reaching out for my brother. I hope everything is well with him. Also, um, want to put everyone to send out their prayers for Slick and send help as needed. I know his son Donald yes. is uh, is, is uh, out. Um, soliciting and asking for help with his father. He's struggling with some things, but if you can, uh, I don't have that um, 
the text as to where we're going to where you send the donation. But I've been trying to call him, but I haven't been able to get a return phone call. That boy, Donald answers the phone. Yeah, he doesn't answer the phone. So yeah, so anyway, I'm gonna send him. I'm gonna send him a text message too because uh, whatever I can do to help Slick Watts, yes, the the ambassador for that's right, that's right. So I definitely want to make sure that he's taken care of. I'm sure a lot of fans would be more than happy to help Slick Watts. He's brought a lot of joy uh, to folks. Now, the younger, younger folks don't know him, but the, the people right. that, right. that were around in those 60s and 70s, they do know him. So, uh, in, in, uh, in terms of, uh, of, of the, what would a team look like right now coming to Seattle? Would they uh, have be able to get, would that be a pool of players that they could draft from before? Because they got to start, when you start, you first would have a draft choice, number one, but you'd have to have, a team assemble. How would uh, they go about assembling a team to be ready to play for the next season? Well, uh, before we get ahead of ourselves, I think the most important thing, like I said, in this formation of, you know, coming up with the solicitation of people who are interested in being a part of trying to bring a team back to Seattle. You know, like I said, I'm I'm more concerned about us making sure that we get it right, and no disrespect to. The previous owners, because Sam Schumann was a great owner, and then we went through very accurately, uh, and then uh, we, unfortunately, we had the debacle where we had uh, Howard Schultz come in, and sometimes uh, I want to make sure we try to get the ownership properly formatted so that what has happened doesn't happen again where you get someone in there that wants to be an owner but is not prepared to be an owner. Does that make sense? It makes all the sense in the world, brother. All the sense in the world. Because I don't think that Seattle could take another hit if we get another basketball team. Uh, lessons learned that we want someone in there that, um, I mean, this is just so depressing right now that all the players that the greater Seattle area has, I, every time I look at a team and go, oh, this guy went to Seattle. He's from Seattle. Well, yeah. Washington, Gonzaga, you know. I'm just like, wow, this is – okay. This well, Brother Tab, um, when you as, we're going to keep you on the air as things progress, but I want to thank you for taking time out today and planting that seed in people's minds about we can get a team. So yes. thank you very much, Brother, for being on today. And as things progress, let us know. You can be on this air anytime you have a notice for or new information coming in. So thank you very much, Tab. More than welcome. Okay. All right. I want to thank uh, Ali Garrett. Uh, from the Liquor Cannabis Board, Tony B. Rainier Avenue, Radio.World, uh, Reverend Dr. Harriet Walden, Mothers, Mothers uh, for Police Accountability, and the host of Mothers Justice Show on this station on Mondays at 2 o'clock, Sarah Sense Wilson, uh, the founder of United uh, uh, Urban Native Education Alliance, uh, and also Kayla Harstead, who is an intern for Special Projects. And don't forget that... Uh, uh, NMC will be hearing from uh, distinguished attorney Anthony Robinson at five o'clock on their meeting today uh, on tomorrow. The Black Education Strategy Roundtable is sponsoring a one-day symposium for Black educators. That's Friday from 12 to 5, being hosted by Dr. Marsha Tedarunga uh, at Evergreen State College Tacoma Campus. <clears throat> Thank the city of Seattle's Purchase and Construction Services Office, Sound Transit Civil Office of Civil Rights, Equity and Inclusion, and Port of Seattle's Diversity Contracting Office for their support. And I want to let people know my friend, <clears throat> Tanisha Brooks, 
will be funeralized uh, uh, on February 10th at 11 o'clock a.m. at New Beginnings Christian Fellowship in Kent. Uh, flowers can be sent to personal alternative funeral cremations. That's also in Kent, Washington. She was a longtime member of the Total Experience Gospel Choir. You will be missed. You were a good spirit and a lovely person. So thank you very much. This is Eddie Ryan with another edition of Urban Forum Northwest. And thank you, Eric.